Welcome to the Evolvers podcast. This is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy. And my guest today is sales and marketing alignment expert, author, and international keynote speaker, Jeff Davis. I had the pleasure of meeting Jeff at a Serious Decision CSO and Sales Leadership Conference in Austin recently, and I was immediately struck by his incredible energy and his experiences. His book, Creating Togetherness, Aligning Sales and Marketing to Drive Revenue Growth, it provides a great roadmap to overcome one of the biggest challenges we see organizations facing today, and that's going to be the topic of our discussion. Uh, Welcome, Jeff Davis. Hey, Tom. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So in doing a little bit of research on you and uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I see that you've got a technical degree, yet you're talking sales and marketing now as an expert. Yours is in mechanical engineering. Mine is in electrical engineering. Uh, We're a bunch of geeks at heart, it sounds like. But how do you make your way from the world of mechanical engineering, which is statics and dynamics, to sales and marketing alignment, which is your love today? Yeah, so I have to admit I'm an engineer, and it's, <laughs> it's it's okay, it's okay. Uh, yeah, so I'll I'll tell you the short version. Um, I like you said have my degree in mechanical engineering, and actually worked at NASA all through college. Oh wow! And like I had a conversation where we're working on a big transformation, a technical transformation, and I was talking to some of the consultants we were working with, and this is like your senior year when you're trying to figure out your life and like what job I should do and all that kind of stuff. And literally from three of the consultants I worked with, they were like, "You need you either need to go into sales or consulting." Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely not. I spent all this time and money and energy getting this engineering degree. Uh, but something just really compelled me to say, let's try it. And if it's worst case scenario, if I am terrible at sales, I will just pretend like it never happened and then go back you know, to doing engineering. And so right out of college, I ended up actually uh, getting a technical sales job uh, and really, really enjoyed it. And really, really enjoyed it and did really, really well, well at it. Uh, and then in, and ended up... Um, taking that opportunity and going to healthcare sales and then getting my MBA uh, and then transform myself, as I say, into a marketer to selfishly advocate for salespeople mm-hmm. because I felt like at the time marketing wasn't really understanding what sellers needed. Uh, and when I got into a marketing role, I realized that that was very true, but it wasn't done out of spite. It was just because they didn't have the the perspective of a salesperson. So yeah. that's the the short, short version of the story. But uh, yeah, so start as an engineer. I love it. I love it. So you talked about, you know, enjoying sales when you when you got into it, but I always like to find out and I always learn so much from the struggles that I've had personally, whether it be in, in the technical world or even the selling world. But tell me about your single worst sales experience and when what you learned from that. Well, there are many. Um the one that I talk about the most when I especially when I'm doing keynotes is um, really the, the impetus to why I, why I started my work and why I wrote the book. Um, in, in healthcare, we had a huge uh, regulation change and majority of the stuff that we were doing in order to be successful actually became illegal overnight. And, and, and because of that, my numbers basically tanked. Uh, and I found myself that I couldn't get in front of my customers. All decisions were rolled up to the top of the organization with folks I had no relationship with. And I was just struggling. Uh, and I hadn't really you know, knowing what to do in that situation because I was, you know, fairly successful in my career. It's the top 5% of the, the, the sales force. And I just started using like brute force to like, like bullying people and, 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 and becoming a stalker and <laughs> it wasn't working. And I was just so frustrated. And so we ended up having the director of marketing at the time come to one of our sales meetings and he really started 
talking about partnering and how they use our data to help us sell more effectively and targeting and all kinds of stuff. And it completely blew my mind. And that's when I was like, oh, there's like this relationship between sales and marketing that could actually help me do this better and do it more efficiently and more effectively. And so it completely changed my approach and, you know, fast forward to why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. But that, that period of my sales career was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> yeah. So through that change, it was, uh, you, you kind of reverted to, uh, as you said, kind of those dark tactics uh, rather than, than value add just to get by. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like stalking absolutely. people in the parking lot. You're like, Hey, <laughs> Did you get my email? <laughs> oh, funny running into you here. Right, right. You're, wait, you're waiting in the car with a cup of coffee. You've got the uh, kind of like a stakeout where you've got all of the food on the dashboard. Totally. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. So, so let's get to the topic at hand. You talked about sales and marketing and your love for both and making sure that they're aligned. But I love a statistic that you've promoted, which is B2B companies where sales and marketing are misaligned, which unfortunately is where too many companies are today, that that can cost 10% of revenue or more a year. And tell me about what is the, the mis, this kind of misalignment and why it can be so costly at companies that you work with. Yeah, so that's actually a statistic from IDC, and I thought it was really important to, to help leaders quantify what misalignment is all about, because I want to be really, really clear. Uh, this book was not about sales and marketing getting along, holding hands, and going to meetings together, right? Like, that's great if you get along. Yeah, kumbaya is good. Kumbaya is great, yeah. but it's not, it's not, you know, putting revenue on the table. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to be very clear uh, with sales and marketing leaders as well as CEOs to help them understand, like, you know, when you take the steps to align these teams, you really are unlocking your revenue potential. Uh, and really misalignment really is about inefficient and suboptimal sales and marketing practices or processes, right? Um, today, the modern buyer has completely changed. That buyer-seller relationship is completely different than what it used to be three, five, 10 years ago. And so if you look at the subtitle of my book, I, I was very thoughtful when I, when I wrote it because it says transform sales and marketing. And what we have to realize is there's actually two transformations going on that we have to be cognizant of. There is the, the, the transformation of what we need to do in our individual functions. So we cannot sell the same way we did three, five, 10 years ago. It's just, not, it's just not appropriate. We have a lot more tools. Just the way in which people want to be sold to is completely different. And we also can't market the same way that we did uh, in the past. So in, in the individual functions, we have to transform. And then on top of that, we also have to work together to create a cohesive experience because the modern buyer is demanding it. And so with, with all of that said, you know, you just cannot operate in silos anymore and sales nor marketing can do all that they need to do in order to engage the modern buyer by themselves. It's just, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, totally. You're preaching to someone who believes in that uh, at, as well. Now, organizations that are out there that are listening, how do you know if you've got an alignment issue? Um, what are some of those characteristics that stand out to you that you look for so that people can become self-aware? Because when I hear this, I'm like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. We've got to change the way we sell, got to change the way we market. We preach as well to folks about that. But how do people know if they've got this alignment issue? Yeah, so I actually have a section of the book where I list a lot of the symptoms that leaders can look for to be able to tell whether or not misalignment in the organization is really an issue that needs to be addressed. There's misalignment uh, in pretty much every organization to some degree, but there's a point at which it becomes that you know that it's impacting your ability to 
uh, to grow and drive revenue. And so um, there's an exhaustive list that leaders can kind of really look at and, and identify whether or not it's happening. Some of the ones I include are the classic that we all hear about the finger pointing, which is bad leads for marketing, right? Uh, marketing is stereotypically incentivized on the volume of leads. And so, you know, if you ask me for 10,000 leads, I'm going to give you 10,000, but you didn't say anything about quality. So uh, you get what you ask for, right? And so that we have to, to talk about changing some incentives and uh, we can maybe get to that as we as we continue talking. Uh, another one is marketing is not really required or held held to contributing to pipeline revenue. So they are, you know, again, looking at what I call vanity metrics. So this is clicks and likes and shares, uh, but they're, they're not really being held to a standard where they have to show ROI uh, for their marketing activities. Uh, also, sales and marketing use different data. Uh, a lot of times, and I've worked with clients, that you have conversations and, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and arguing. But then you realize that they're they're talking about two completely different data sets. Mm -hmm. And so how do you know what the truth is when, you know, the way that you see the world is completely different and coming from a, a different data source than your, your counterpart? And then things like uh, having conflicting or different stories on business performance, which is related to the data issue. Uh, I had, a, I had a, a CEO that I was working with, and he was just like, Jeff, I am really tired of sales coming in and saying, things are terrible, it was, you know, things aren't working. And then marketing comes right behind them and says, everything's great. We, we have yeah. most leads we've ever had before. He's like, I am confused. What is really going on? So, so those are some of the things that's a limited list of what leaders can be kind of looking out for as they kind of try to diagnose whether or not misalignment is a problem they need to really address. I love it. And uh, I've heard those at many companies we work with and, and many companies I've worked for. So yeah. um, I think it's great having that list of symptoms that you can go through to kind of uh, diagnose. And, and so once you're diagnosed, uh, I know in the book as well, you offer some prescriptive advice. Um, sales and marketing's misaligned. What the heck do you do and how do you start addressing this? Yeah, so there's a whole section I, I kind of address what, what I kind of talk about is the, what needs to happen before the transformation attempt. And this is really, um, we don't talk about this as much, but there is a, a period in which you need to get leadership on the same page. Um, if you try to do this from kind of a, a grassroots effort, um, good luck. This is truly a business transformation. And as of such, you have to raise the, le the level of consciousness in the organization that this is serious. And so one of the things I talk about is that you have to have CEO sponsorship and not just support. But this has to get bubbled up to the top where the CEO has becomes the face of this particular transformation in the business because alignment truly has become a strategic advantage. And so in order for you to really turn the Titanic, so to say, you got to have them on board. Also, in addition to that, and, and I list all of these uh, in the book so that people can kind of really be thoughtful about, you know, checking the box of what they have in place and what they don't, but also having a clear vision of what where we're trying to go. Um, getting people all aligned and, and, and marching in the same direction, but not telling them where we're going and giving them some type of beacon of what, we're, what good looks like uh, is a recipe for disaster. So there's things that have to happen before we even get into uh, truly uh, going about making a transformation in the way that we do business. Yep. And then when you start with the transformation, I know you've got what are called the three pillars of alignment strategy, if I've got them right. I think one is data. Yes. And then process and communication. Talk about those a little bit. So you've got the leadership, you've got mm -hmm. kind of things aligned, and now there are things that you can work on within each one of those three areas. 
Yeah, absolutely. The the one of the reasons that I created the the strategic framework is that I found there are a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. uh, in really truly doing this the right way. And I think for a lot of leaders, it's overwhelming and it becomes to a point where it's just like there's just too much to do, and so some people just don't take action at all. So I stepped back and really kind of. Uh, listed all of the things that needed to be done in order for this to happen successfully. And then what happened was I realized that as things kind of bubbled to the top, these three pillars came, the data process and communication. And so for me, it helps uh, me think about how to make the transformation, but also helps leaders be able to kind of bucket things Mm -hmm. so that they're not overwhelmed and they can can kind of attack things. So uh, starting with data, which I really truly believe is the foundation of any transformation effort, most companies are not leveraging data in the way that they really, really need to. We are sitting on a wealth of information about our customers. I would argue that data literally has become more valuable than oil, but most companies are either not leveraging it or not leveraging in a way that actually is turning it into business insights. So the objective uh, within the data pillar is really to create a single view of the customer. Right. We want to understand what's going on with the customer, and that will help us understand the buyer and, and what the buyer needs, wants, and desires. And so within that, we're really trying to uh, create a single source of truth. So going back to that sales and marketing, looking at the world very differently, we want to be on the same page and really understand the metrics that are behind our customer interactions and our, and our buyer interactions. And then we can start to really look at you know, our ideal customer profiles based on data, not just what we think. Uh, I've interacted with clients that, you know, you ask them their ICP and it's like, oh, we've always targeted this particular person. Well, when you take a, a data-centric approach and you really start to say, okay, is that truly the best ICP that we need to be looking at? And, and what I mean by that, I want to look at metrics like, you know, customer lifetime value, the customer uh, cost of customer acquisition, the average order value. I want to look at all of those metrics to be able to corroborate whether or not we really truly are looking at the ICP and then also getting that qualitative feedback from sales, right? So um, that's what kind of really the the objective of the data pillar. When you move the the process, that really is focused on creating this lead to revenue process so that the sales marketing leader can understand exactly what's happening across both silos because you really can't start to optimize and try to figure out what's broken until you really can see the full view of how buyers are interacting with us. And then last but not least, uh, as you said, is the communication. And that is really focused on creating a formal feedback loop so that sales and marketing can really act as revenue engine and be able to uh, to pivot and change as the buyer's needs change or the, the, the marketplace changes. So again, data, process, and communication. So we've got you know, an alignment issue at a company and you know, there's definitely steps you can take and you've created this roadmap. Why do you think so many companies, they struggle with getting this going, this process going? Yeah, there's a lot of answers to that. I I think first and foremost, uh, when I started my work, I I believed that sales and marketing were at war. And I have found through my work uh, with the podcast and um, working with practitioners and clients, that is not the case. Sales and marketing don't know each other. Um, one great example, I, I had a keynote a couple years ago, uh, and I, sh- I share the story in the book as well. Um, and I got off the stage and I had the sales leader come to me. He said, Jeff, you know, it was a really great presentation. You really have opened my eyes that I should be interacting with my marketing colleague in a different way. But he goes, here's the reality of things. I've been in sales all my life. I'm a sales guy. I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to say. I don't know what we should be doing. And I think that was one of the first times it dawned on me. He said, we're not at war. We just don't know each other. 
Yeah, and, and that's where the communication comes in, right? It's almost like, a, and I don't know if it's, you know, marketing is from Mars, sales is from Venus kind of thing, right? <laughs> where where it's kind of the men and women miscommunicating. It's almost the same thing. There are just yeah. fundamental style differences and, and framework differences and other things that we're faced with between the genders that almost manifest themselves very similarly in, in sales versus marketing. You know, sales tend to be the hunters, the alphas, the, and then marketing tend to be the creative and the more nurturing. And um, so I think there's a lot of parallels there. I don't know if you've seen that same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And in part of my work is my job is to help them understand how to leverage each other. I, I, you know, stereotypically see that sales and marketing leaders have a dysfunctional relationship. And when I say dysfunctional, people are like, oh, they're fighting. I'm like, no, that's not usually what it is. They usually get along, but they don't know how to leverage each other in a business context. So mm -hmm. part of my job and part of my role is to help them understand as a sales leader, this is how marketing can benefit you. Let's, let's talk about these things and learn how you can ask and leverage what the work that they're doing. So instead of pointing at marketing and saying, you don't, you know, you're not doing anything, you're not doing your job, I want to empower you with a specific ask. I need you to improve X, Y, Z. I need you to do this and vice versa with the, with the, the marketing leader. Uh, and when you go through that exercise and really kind of lay out what, what the options are, there's this aha moment of like, oh, so I have language around what I, what I want from uh, my colleague. And so um, that really improves that relationship and we can start to have a more uh, non-dysfunctional uh, relationship between sales and marketing. And hence creating togetherness. You got it. That's what uh, I do. <laughs> so what's, what's the single takeaway you'd like to leave the audience with today? You know, I, I kind of, well, I end my keynote with this. The reality of things is digital disruption has empowered the modern buyer. The, the, and and in, in doing so, it has given them unlimited access to information, people, and resources. And so we, as sales leaders and marketing leaders, we cannot provide them what they're asking for by ourselves. We absolutely need each other at this point uh, in the evolution of B2B in order to be successful. And the, for those companies that don't embrace that, it's going to be a hard road moving forward. Couldn't agree more. A lot of the same mantra that we preach to Jeff. So how can folks find and reach you online? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, the book is available for purchase now. I'm super excited. Create Togetherness. Uh, the website is createtogethernessbook.com. Uh, they can also go to my website, which is meetjeffdavis.com and learn all the information about me, uh, my leadership workshops, and then consulting uh, as well. And then on the social side of things, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. So hopefully you'll put those links in maybe the, the show notes so people can find me online. Absolutely. I will definitely do that. Meet Jeff Davis. I have had the pleasure to meet you and I've had the pleasure to interview you, Jeff, and it has been uh, wonderful. So thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to collaborating with you more in the future. Tom, thanks so much. I had a great time.